The Israel-Palestine conflict is one of the most contentious and violent in the world. But now, surprise attacks by the Palestinian militant group Hamas and subsequent retaliation by Israel's military have left thousands dead and injured after just a few days of fighting. At first glance, these attacks seem like the beginning of a new war in the Levant and Middle East that could potentially push the already delicate balance of relations in the region into utter chaos. But while the clashes were unquestionably some of the most savage in recent memory, in reality, they are just the latest in a cycle of perpetual unrest and violence that has besieged the region for decades. This cycle has no clear end in sight, and now it looks to be ramping up to a new level, with both sides deeply entrenched on opposite ends of a religious and ideological spectrum, compounded by bitter historical and territorial grievances. With that in mind, today's video will explain the roots of the conflict, detail why Israel and Palestine have such a fractured relationship, and lay out the arguments of both sides. Once that's covered, we'll examine why the prospect of a two-state solution seems more like fantasy than ever before, consider why Hamas chose this moment to launch its attack, and finally, suggest what the wider implications might be for the region and beyond. This video is chapterized, and the exact timestamps are found in the description for those of you who want to jump straight into the most relevant sections for you. In the early hours of Saturday, October the 7th, Hamas militants streamed into Israel from the Gaza Strip, a small Palestinian coastal enclave home to a whopping 2.3 million people that is surrounded by Israeli territory. The surprise attack caught Israel's defense forces, the IDF, and security services completely off guard. Hamas launched rockets and ground assaults on Israeli cities near the border and massacred some 260 unsuspecting people at a music festival before forcibly deporting some soldiers and civilians back to Gaza. Israel responded with full fury, launching hundreds of indiscriminate airstrikes on the densely populated Gaza Strip, including many which utterly devastated civilian residential blocks, before cutting off water and electricity to begin a siege. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Defence Minister Yoav Gallant formally declared war on Hamas and vowed to completely dismantle the Palestinian group so that they may never govern again. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of army reservists were mobilised and Israel is now planning a huge ground operation to invade Gaza, crush Hamas and liberate its hostages. Today's conflict, though rooted in historical and territorial disputes dating back millennia, really began brewing in the 20th century and ignited in 1948. The Zionist movement, advocating for a Jewish homeland amid the fallout of the Dreyfus Affair in France and rising anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe, gained momentum in the late 19th century and in 1917, the British government issued the Balfour Declaration. In it, they expressed support for the establishment of a national home for the Jewish people in the region now known as Palestine. At the time, Palestine was a part of the crumbling Ottoman Empire and was home to a majority Arab population, but did have a minority Jewish population. 30 years later, following the defeat of Nazi Germany in World War II and Hitler's genocidal campaign to exterminate Jews in the Holocaust, a plan to alleviate the plight of the Jewish people had resounding international support. In 1947, the UN proposed a partition plan, manifesting the intent of the Balfour Declaration to divide Palestine, which since 1920 had been under British control, into separate Jewish and Arab states, with the holy city of Jerusalem as an internationally shared territory. The Jewish leadership accepted the plan, 
seeing it as a long-awaited opportunity for Jews to return to a land which was once the Kingdom of Israel thousands of years ago. And in 1948, the State of Israel was declared. But Arab states roundly rejected the partition, with those living in the territory arguing it was unfair for their current homeland to be suddenly carved into pieces, displacing hundreds of thousands of people to make way for new Jewish homes. The fallout triggered the first Arab-Israeli war, which lasted two years and was ultimately won by newly created Israel, whose leaders seized more territory beyond the borders outlined in the partition plan. Then, in the Six-Day War of 1967, major hostilities erupted again, with Israel this time gaining control of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip, and the Golan Heights. This displaced thousands more Palestinians from their homes, and sowed the seeds of bitter tensions over borders. Twenty years later came the First Intifada, a mass uprising of Palestinians against Israel that gave birth to the political and military organization Hamas. By that time, Palestine already had a political movement. The Palestine Liberation Organization was founded in 1964 as an umbrella organization incorporating several factions, including the largest and most influential, the secular Fatah group. The PLO aimed to represent the Palestinian people diplomatically and work towards what they saw as the liberation of Palestine from Israel. But Hamas was born from the Muslim Brotherhood and other more hardline Islamist elements, who felt the PLO could never truly achieve anything with diplomacy and instead moved to consolidate a military wing that could take the fight to Israel. Hamas and Fatah have competed in Palestine ever since. For example, the PLO in the 1990s signed the Oslo Accords, an internationally brokered attempt at peace that saw the creation of the Palestinian Authority, a democratically elected governing body of Palestine. But Hamas rejected the proposal and continued its policy of military-first engagement with Israel via its armed wing, Al-Qassam, while its political wing won support at home by introducing social welfare programs to help its struggling people. In 2005, Israel withdrew many of its troops from parts of Gaza and the West Bank, handing control back to the Palestinian Authority. But violence continued intermittently throughout the 2020s, and the region has never really known any meaningful period of peace. Israel is run by arguably its most hard-right government ever, and many of its ministers openly reject Palestinian statehood. Israel largely sees any Palestinian aggression, from Hamas or otherwise, as outright terrorism, and claims it has the right to defend what it sees as the ancestral Jewish homeland by any means necessary. In its view, Hamas is a radical Islamist organization that not only wants to liberate Palestine, but wants to wipe Israel off the map altogether and purge the region of Jews. In addition, Israelis say the historical persecution of Jews, culminating in the Holocaust, is a testament to the importance of a secure Jewish homeland. They also argue that continued Israeli military presence in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, as well as the construction of more Israeli settlements in territory widely recognized as belonging to Palestine, is a security necessity and a reflection of their historical and biblical connection to the soil. Hamas, meanwhile, says that the treatment of Palestinians and Israeli occupation of territories internationally recognized as part of Palestine are no longer tolerable, and that the violence is the only way to dismantle the status quo. Though the group does not enjoy total support in Palestine, many citizens feel there is little to lose, arguing that, under Israeli control, they are hemmed into tiny spaces and subject to economic and social oppression. More broadly, 
Palestinians see the partition and establishment of Israel in 1948 as the Nakba, or catastrophe. They too feel they have a historical collection to the land, and feel they have the right to self-determination and governance, rather than being forced into tiny pockets of territory whose economy, access to goods, and general security essentially hinge on the policies and actions of the Israeli government and armed forces. Palestinians also point to a pattern of violence meted out by Israeli forces in recent years. According to the UN, around 6,400 Palestinians were killed as a result of Israeli violence from 2008 up until Hamas launched its attacks in October. In that same period of time, less than 350 Israelis were killed by Palestinians. And finally, Palestine advocates for the establishment of an independent Palestinian state, based on the internationally agreed upon pre-1967 borders, while accusing the Israeli government of enforcing a policy of apartheid on the Palestinian people. Now, for a long time, both Israel and Palestine have engaged in negotiations to resolve their differences according to a two-state solution advocated by the UN, with varying degrees of commitment. This has long been the focus of international diplomatic efforts to end the conflict and envisions a future in which both Israel and Palestine have their own independent sovereign states, sharing the Levant with their own self-governed hard borders and security responsibility for their independent regions. But realistically, even if a two-state solution were implemented, it would almost certainly be nothing more than a facade covering up radical inequality and power imbalance. Israel has pressed on with the development of more settlements in the West Bank, widely considered illegal, and also occupies more territory than outlined in previous international agreements. This completely disrupts any kind of territorial continuity that would be necessary to establish a formerly independent Palestinian state with hard borders. That's before we even get to Jerusalem, which both Israel and Palestine claim as their capital city. There's also a critical power imbalance that precludes the possibility of Palestine ever establishing legitimate security for itself. Israel is far more economically and technologically advanced, and enjoys historical US diplomatic and military support. Palestine, on the other hand, has few resources, and the economy in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip is pitiful. Although Hamas has built up considerable weapon stockpiles, thanks to Iran and other backers, it still cannot possibly compete with the might of Israel. In a recent interview with Lex Friedman, Netanyahu openly declared that in his view, the only way for Israel and Palestine to achieve peace would be to completely relieve Palestine of any and all security capabilities. The Israeli Prime Minister said, The Palestinians should have all the powers to govern themselves and none of the powers to threaten Israel, which means the responsibility for overall security, the airspace and the electromagnetic space, remains with Israel. This is less than perfect sovereignty. This ultimately means that Israel would enjoy total control over much of Palestinian administration, trade and of course security, forcing a total disarmament. That is not a two-state solution. On the other hand, Israel feels it is impossible to trust Hamas, whose 1988 charter reads, Israel will exist and continue to exist until Islam obliterates it. Hamas has since said that it would be open to a peaceful coexistence with the Jewish state, provided Israel is willing to return to pre-1967 borders, thus granting more land back to Palestine. But Israel has no guarantee this offer would be upheld, and in the wake of Hamas's surprise attack, Netanyahu's right-wing cabinet is likely to reject outright 
anything close to a two-state solution. The timing of Hamas's attack, which it termed the Al-Aqsa Flood, in tribute to the eponymous mosque in East Jerusalem, one of the holiest sites in Islam, was seemingly motivated by several factors besides a general discontent for the ongoing treatment of Palestine by Israel. One of the main ones is the peace negotiations between Israel and other Arab nations. In 2020, Israel signed the US-brokered Abraham Accords, a series of peace and normalization agreements designed to restore or consolidate diplomatic ties with the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan and Morocco in what was a landmark moment for Middle Eastern and Jewish Arab relations. But for Hamas, the Abraham Accords signified a disastrous departure from the historical Arab consensus, which had always conditioned normalization with Israel on the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict based on a two-state solution. With rumours of an Israeli-Saudi agreement in the works, Hamas likely felt that Israel's moves to strengthen ties to the Gulf states and beyond would see the plight of Palestinians recede in the minds of Arab leaders. Saturday, October the 7th also happened to coincide almost exactly with the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, or Ramadan War, when Arab fighters, led largely by Egypt and Syria, launched a surprise attack on Israeli positions on October the 6th, 1973. And finally, this all comes as the head of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas, who is widely perceived as an authoritarian and ineffective president, is refusing to name a successor or hold elections despite being 87 years old. This looming power vacuum provides an opportunity for Hamas to vie for control, positioning itself as a formidable force capable of addressing the aspirations and grievances of the Palestinian people. Now, whether the Palestinian people in Gaza feel it's worth suffering a total siege, constant aerial bombardment, and a ground invasion by the IDF is another question. In short, we genuinely don't know what's going to happen next. The new round of fighting is extremely intense and is still very much in its early stages, so it's impossible to predict what follows with much certainty. Having said that, here are a few pretty reasonable assumptions. Israel is going to go on a major offensive. Hamas's military capabilities pale in comparison to that of the IDF, and Netanyahu's intolerant cabinet is out for blood. They've pledged to use a massive force against Hamas that will reverberate for generations, and will feel that a ruthless retaliation is morally justifiable given Hamas's willingness to slay unarmed Israeli non-combatants. Meanwhile, Israel's allies, namely the US, UK and some EU states, appear prepared to avoid condemning Netanyahu in spite of the countless civilian casualties that will undoubtedly amass. The exact extent to which Israel will go on the offensive, and the efficacy of a ground assault on Gaza remains to be seen, given that Hamas retains hundreds of Israeli hostages and operates like a guerrilla force among buildings and tunnels throughout the Strip. But ultimately, an Israeli victory is all but completely assured. In another gloomy prognosis for Hamas, I don't see any Arab nations pulling out of the Abraham Accords in support of the plight of the Palestinians anytime soon. The Islamic Republic of Iran, the chief backer of Hamas and Hezbollah, its proxy force in Lebanon, has only recently tried to ease its strained relations with several of the signatories of the Accords, namely the UAE and Bahrain, as well as Saudi Arabia, whose relationship with Israel is, as we earlier said, seemingly moving towards normalization. Despite some problems with Washington, these countries are also still aligned with the US, Israel's most valuable supporter. We have already seen that Hezbollah, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and other Islamist elements 
have launched a smattering of small-scale attacks in support of Hamas in recent days, but not with enough ferocity to suggest the Israeli forces would have their work cut out to stop them. Now, having said that, the short-term future doesn't look particularly rosy for Israel either, and particularly for Netanyahu. The Israeli PM is caught between a bit of a rock and a hard place here. He won a third term in office after successfully building a coalition with a considerable hard-right component, which has been extremely vocal about its desire and intent to wipe Hamas out completely, with no regard for humanitarian consequences. But Israel has worked extremely hard to build relations with several leading Arab states, and although it doesn't appear these nations would immediately roll back their commitments to achieving peace and normalization with Israel, most of them have merely appealed for restraint on both sides. A long, savage conflict could definitely alienate Netanyahu's new Arab partners. And if the extent of Israel's fury towards Hamas becomes so extreme that widespread war crimes are committed, even the US and Europe could reconsider the extent of their support which would prove very costly for Netanyahu. Now, all of these predictions and assessments are, at the end of the day, open to debate. But there's one thing we can say with absolute certainty. A lot of people are going to suffer a hell of a lot more. And unless, by some miracle, world leaders and the regional powers can come together and establish a legitimate, peaceful, diplomatic solution, something they've never had the moral courage or common interest to really attempt in the past, all roads lead to yet more hatred and destruction ahead.